Uh, right, we're going to be reading from, before Dan comes up, from Romans chapter 3, 19 to 31. You'll find it on the, in the blue Bibles there, page 1130, page 1130, 1130. Okay, so uh, I'll give you a second to catch it, all of you. Romans 3, 19 to 31. Still some rustling going on there? Right, okay. All right. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ, by Christ Jesus, sorry. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? Is it excluded? It is excluded, sorry. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, no. Because of the law that requires faith, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Terry, thank you so much for reading our passage. Good morning. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, We thank you that we can meet together as brothers and sisters to hear you speak to us. And Father, we pray as we continue the series on the cross, uh, we pray that we would marvel at it and um, love Jesus more and um, be strengthened as we hear about what was accomplished at the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have, a, have our first picture up on the screen. So this is a, uh, it's a 19th century painting painted by an artist uh, called Abraham Solomon. And it's called Awaiting the Verdict. So at the back there, you can see a woman anxiously looking uh, over her shoulder as the courtroom door opens. Over here, you've got a woman... Um, in, in the gray dress, her eyes are really puffy and red. Um, she probably hasn't slept in days. And the man on, on the far left, he's in despair, holding his face in his hands. The only person smiling is this lady over here in the red. She's got a slight, a subtle smile. But even her, you kind of wonder how she's really feeling 
on the inside. Maybe she's just trying to put on a brave face um, to stay strong for her family who, who desperately uh, need her. One of the things I love about this picture is, is just how well it ca- like, we see people's emotions here um, at their the, the current situation. Now, we might wonder who is the person who's, who's on trial. And for that, uh, we need to turn to the next picture. So this picture is called Not Guilty. The first one's awaiting the verdict. This one is called Not Guilty. So who's the defendant? It appears to be this man over here. And we can see how happy his family are now that he's reunited with them and he's been declared not guilty. You can see his wife. And I presume this man over there in the top, corner, top right-hand corner is his father, um, who's so grateful and thankful to the judge. So that's the verdict. Not guilty. No wonder everyone is so happy and massively relieved. Now, why did I want to show you uh, these pictures? It's because they figure the courtroom. And, that, um, and our theme this morning does that as well. So today, we're continuing to think about the cross, uh, but we're focusing on justification. What does justification mean? That's what we're thinking about. And we're not only thinking about what it means, but also why is it so important. So the reformer Martin Luther said, if we lose the doctrine of justification, we lose simply everything. Hence, the most necessary and important thing is that we teach and repeat this doctrine daily. For it cannot be grasped or held enough or too much. In fact, though we may urge and inculcate it vigorously, no one grasps it perfectly or believes it with all their heart. So frail is our flesh, and so disobedient to the Spirit. For the Reformers, a justification was the article by which uh, the church stands or falls. Why is it so important? Without the doctrine of justification, you and I, we'd be like the people in the first painting, still awaiting the verdict and experiencing all the same uh, stress, anxiety, and just being worried about the outcome. But because we have the glorious doctrine of justification, that is because the Bible teaches us that we have been justified, then we can be more like the people in this second picture. We can be relieved. We can be at peace. We can be grateful. You see, we no longer need to to live in anxiety or fear of that final verdict. The verdict has already been passed, and it's the one we'd really, really hoped for. Friends, because of the cross, you have been justified. That means that you are in the right in God's sight. You are in the right in God's sight. And we've got two points to help us unpack that um, a bit more. The first point is this. Because of the cross, you are forgiven. 
Now, I hesitated a bit as to what to call this first point. Um, I thought about calling it, instead of you're forgiven, you're not guilty, because I thought that would tie in really, really nicely with the title of the second painting. Now, here's the thing. The statement, you're, you're not guilty, is true. But I prefer you're forgiven. I think it's, it's a better description. As you know, when someone is declared not guilty in court, it doesn't, mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're innocent. Rather, it means that there isn't sufficient evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that they committed the crime. So they may very well have committed the crime. They just haven't been proven to have committed it in the courtroom. So that's one reason why I think the title, You're Not Guilty, although a good one, it's probably not the best one. Here's another reason. Look down at our passage, chapter 3, verse 10. By the way, we're going, to, we're going to be jumping around a few different verses in Romans 3 to 5. So we're not focusing exclusively uh, on the verses that were read earlier. So have a look at chapter 3, verse 10. And try to spot humanity's problem as, as we read. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now look down at verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What do these verses teach us about ourselves? We are all guilty of having sinned. We're all guilty of having turned away from the Lord. That's our problem. And because of that, God would have every right to prosecute us. And he would have all the evidence in the world available to him with which to do so. You see, God could prove each and every single one of us guilty beyond reasonable doubt. But here's what makes our passage so astonishing. Have a look again at verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How would you expect the verse after that to read? Here's how I'd expect it to read. And all are condemned. All have sinned and fall short, glory, fall short of the glory of God, and all are condemned. But that's not what it says, is it? Instead, it says, and all are justified. All are in the right in God's sight. How on earth can God view us in this way? So in chapter 4, if you look across the page, in verse 7, Paul continues to discuss justification. Have a look at verse, yeah, verse 7. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. 
whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. How can God view us as being right in his sight? Because he's graciously forgiven us our sins. So that's what the cross has resulted in. Because of the cross, you are forgiven. And what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is God no longer counting or reckoning your sin against you. You see, amazingly, God has canceled your sin debt. It's cleared. And so later on in Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul asks, who can bring a charge against you? Answer, no one. It is God who justifies. At the cross, God dealt with your sin debt completely. But friends, that's not all that God does. As, as good as that is, God's kindness towards us doesn't, doesn't stop there. So far, we've, we've been thinking about how our debt of sin is cleared. But justification isn't only about removing sin. It's also about adding or crediting righteousness. So if you imagine justification a bit like a balance sheet, I know how much you love those, not only is your sin debt removed, but righteousness is then credited to your account. So, so it's not only that your balance uh, goes from negative to, to zero, but that it actually becomes net positive. If our first point uh, was about something being removed so that we could be forgiven, then our second point is about something being added so that we can be righteous. This is what we're going to think more about now in our second point. Because of the cross, you are righteous. Have a look with me at chapter 4, verse 3. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Did you notice the, the repeated idea in those verses? Righteousness is credited. So Paul first talks about righteousness being credited to Abraham and then to everyone who has faith. So the cross doesn't only clear your sin debt, it also credits you with righteousness. Now what does that mean? 
To say that you're in the right in God's sight, it doesn't mean that you're a moral Switzerland, that you're morally neutral. It goes further than that. It means that you're morally upright. That's how God sees you. Now, how is it that that we get there? How, How do we become morally upright? We've seen that we're sinners. How do we attain that status? So have a look. Turn over to chapter 5 on the next page. Chapter 5, verse 19. Chapter 5, verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, that one man being Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, that man is Jesus, the many will be made righteous. This argument in, in chapter 5 is a bit intricate, but I'll try to, to explain it as simply as I can. So Paul says that there are two men whose actions have gigantic consequences for humanity. They are Adam and Jesus. And here's how their actions affect us. Let's start with Adam. So Adam sinned. Because Adam sinned, we inherited his sin. Now, how did we inherit Adam's sin? So Adam was the head of the human race, which means that we're connected to him. So when he sinned, we inherited his sin through that connection. So that's the impact that Adam has on humanity. Now, this does not mean that we're sinners only because of our connection to Adam. So Paul makes this clear. If you read Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, you see that we're we're sinners also because we've all committed sin. So don't think we can just blame Adam. We need to blame ourselves too. Okay, so that's, that's Adam. Now let's turn to Jesus. Jesus never sinned. Jesus always did what was right. Jesus was always righteous. And just as Adam functioned as the head of humanity, Jesus now functions as a new head for humanity. So as Adam sinned and and we inherited his sin, Jesus was righteous and we inherit his righteousness. So sin through Adam, righteousness through Jesus. That's how you and I can be in the right in God's sight. It's because of that second connection. Because Jesus is our new head. He's our new representative. Friends, I wonder if this also helps us to understand why Jesus says things like, you must be born again. You see, just as we experienced a a physical, natural birth, we also need to experience a, a spiritual, supernatural birth. You see, we know we're united to 
to Adam through the former, and we're also united to Christ through the latter. Friends, Jesus' headship of humanity, it couldn't be more important. He gives us his righteousness. And not only does he do that, he also takes our sin. That is how we can be forgiven. You see, when God, when God forgave us, it wasn't because he forgot our sin or because he, he turned a blind eye to our sin. God isn't unjust like that, and he doesn't have amnesia. You see, it wasn't, it wasn't because God forgot our sin that he forgave us. It was because he punished our sin. Because he's a God of justice, he had, he had to do that. And he did that at the cross. You see, when, when Jesus died on the cross, a great swap happened. As our head, as our representative, Jesus took our sin and he suffered in our place. He took our grievous sin and he gave us his glorious righteousness. This is what theologians call the great exchange. Friends, because of the cross, you and I are forgiven and we are righteous. Because of the cross, we are justified. How comforting is it to know that? Think of how much time you spend every day, probably, thinking about or worrying about the outcome of your actions. What will happen if, if, I, if I hit the send button on this email? What will happen if I send this WhatsApp? What will happen if I take that job or if I don't? What will happen if I move to this new city? What will happen if I invest in this company? What, what will happen if I go out with this person? What will happen if fill in the blank? We are constantly worrying about the consequences or outcomes of actions that we've, we've taken in the past or we may take in the future. Friends, we have an outcome that we do not have to worry about or be anxious about in the slightest. You see, although our sinful actions, they are serious, Jesus has fully dealt with them on the cross. What a beautiful exchange. You see, we are, we are in the right in God's sight, and that means that our eternal destiny is secure. I wonder if you have confidence in this, confidence in the fact that you are forgiven and righteous and will dwell with God in the new creation forever. Now, this is something that I didn't have confidence in for a very long time. Um, when I was 
you know, practicing Roman Catholic, I did not have confidence that I was righteous, that I was just, that I was forgiven, and that I would have an eternity with Jesus in the new creation. I wasn't. I was you know, crossing my fingers and hoping for the best and praying that I would be, but I didn't know. I couldn't have certainty. But as a Protestant, as an evangelical Christian, who trusts in Jesus, I can have confidence, I can have certainty that I'm forgiven, that I'm righteous, I'm just, that I don't need to do penance or things like that. I'll go to the priest every week and, and ask for his blessing and forgiveness. I'm forgiven because the cross is powerful. And at the cross, a great swap happened. Do you have confidence that you are justified? The question to ask is this. Do you have faith? So according to chapter 3, verse 26, the ones who are justified are those who have faith. Those who trust in Jesus, the Messiah. Are you trusting in Jesus? If you are, praise him. Praise him for his immense mercy and grace towards you. You see, you, you don't have to feel guilty for your former sins anymore. Jesus has dealt with them. Do you ever feel the weight of, of guilt for a sin that you recently committed or, or maybe one you committed a long time ago? Jesus dealt with that sin at the cross. So you're forgiven. You're righteous. And if you're not yet trusting in Jesus, what's holding you back? If you'll trust in him, see, you'll no longer have to worry about the eternal outcome of your sin against him. He washes our sins away if we trust in him. If you trust in him, you'll be righteous. But you have to put your trust in him. That is the only way. There is no other way. If you think that maybe you, know, you can prove yourself to be good enough to God, um, then you need to remember that everyone is guilty of sin. So you can't save yourself. You need to be rescued. You need to be forgiven. You need to be made righteous. And Jesus is literally your only hope. So why not begin to put your trust in him today? You too can be justified. You can be forgiven. You can be righteous. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love in sending us your son to die for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your willingness to go to the cross for our sakes so that we would receive your righteousness and you would take our sin and pay the penalty for it. Thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that because of your sacrifice, we are forgiven and we are righteous. 
comfort us in these great truths. And we pray that if we are not yet trusting in you, we pray that you would grant us the gift of saving faith. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.